This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season will bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together other like-minded organizations, and they're all focused on making disciples. And our goal in all of it is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. Before we jump into the episode for today, I want you to know about the Discipleship.org Collective. This is an online community for disciples and disciple makers. You can get access to this collective for free with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, courses, and even personal and church disciple making assessments. It's pretty amazing. And it's a community, so you have the opportunity to connect with other disciple makers through it as well. You might also be interested to know that there's a premium access option as well, which includes courses, certifications, and even online gatherings with other leaders. Check this out at discipleship.org collective and sign up for free. Go to discipleship.org collective to get your free membership with the discipleship.org collective. Today, we're featuring an episode from Lionshare and their track at the National Disciple Making Forum called Transformational Disciple Making. The episode for today is called The Process of Transformation The Holy Spirit in Disciple Making, featuring Kent Chevalier. So, um, just by quick way of introduction, um, thank you for allowing me to be able to be here. Thought I'd introduce you to my uh, family. Uh, first, this is this is what I refer to as the pink life. All right. So my my wife right here, um, she looks like she could be one of my daughters. Right. Um, thank God that all of my daughters look like her and not like me. Um, so this is my oldest daughter, Madeline. Uh, she is a senior this year and she is praying um, and I believe is like 99 percent. Uh, going to be heading to the mission field uh, with Uncle John and Aunt Danielle. Uh, they have an incredible ministry in El Salvador called Mission to El Salvador to the homeless, uh, to those who are being human trafficked. Um, and so my daughter um, will be headed to El Salvador to serve with them in a gap year before she believes that um, if she submerses herself in the Spanish-speaking culture, then she wants to come back to the States and to be able to be a nurse. That's what she feels like God's designed her to do, especially with the little, little ones. Um, and, and from what we understand, if, if bilingual uh, in a hospital, you, you are twice, if not three times as valuable. Um, and so we're very excited for Madeline. My Kalea is on the left. Uh, she is a sophomore uh, in high school. And uh, she is our creative accessorizer. Uh, she, she is brilliant at drawings and creates these wonderful outfits and, and things like this. And, and she's just a, a brilliant, brilliant girl, plays volleyball, um, and, and I just love her creativity. And this girl can sing. She has beautiful harmonies, amazing. My, my Ainsley uh, right here, uh, she's 11 years old in sixth grade, and um, she is our comedian of the family. She absolutely keeps us laughing at all times, and I'm excited because she also has this gift for worship and uh, leading and instruments, and, and she just picks it up 
so naturally. So I'm excited to see what God is going to be up to in their life. And so here's the funny thing is that we have a dog and our dog is also a girl. (laughs) So I decided, okay, 22 years, I've just been living with uh, women. Okay. My whole life. So I, I needed some testosterone around me. So this past, you know, summer, uh, I, I decided, well, I think God decided and I just submitted that I would become the, the chaplain to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, so I've decided to surround myself with a bunch of men uh, at this point. And so um, if I could just say, I, I've been a pastor for 22 years. Um, the majority of those years have been in Pittsburgh, a small season in Detroit where I was a youth pastor there, and then church planting took me back to Pittsburgh to plant a church there. And so I've been in ministry for 22 years, and now I feel like God's taking me to school as he's introducing me to a bunch of incredible men in the Steelers organization who really, I was explaining in the last session that we did, they don't have a category for Scripture They don't know what it means to follow Jesus, 99% of them. And so it's almost like I'm doing pre-discipleship work. And so this session that I'm about to kind of present to you is something that I, this session has changed the way that I have to do discipleship because I absolutely every day have to rely on the Holy Spirit to help me because I am a guest in the Steelers locker room. I, I, I know how to do church. I've done it for 22 years. It's like the same thing that's coming week in and week out. Now I'm in a completely different setting and absolutely dependent upon the Holy Spirit to help me as I'm going to try to make disciples within the NFL, specifically the Steelers. And so I, I want to kind of start out by saying I am in need of this, and I'm trying to live it out. I'm not perfect at it, but I think as we're all going to kind of come together to a point of unity to say, like, we need the Holy Spirit. All right? Now, here's what I recognize when I say the Holy Spirit at a forum like this. There are many denominations that are represented, and there's many different theologies about the Holy Spirit. So what I'm going to try to do right now is to maybe level the ground a little bit, all right? Because we could spend an entire session talking about all those theological differences when it comes to the Holy Spirit. But I want to bring us to a point of unity and then build off of that. So let me do that by obviously taking us to the Scriptures. So here it is. Jesus himself said, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will glorify me for what He will take. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. So we're seeing that Jesus, or excuse me, that the Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. As I'm making disciples, I need that. How about you? All right. We're in unity on the Holy Spirit. How about that? 
Yeah, unity and denial. That's good. All right. How about this one? When the helper comes, whom I will send to you, this is Jesus, from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So it's if I want you to get this picture. So look up at me real quick. I'm the Holy Spirit for one second. All right. Look at me. And I'm always doing this. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Oh, don't look at me. It's about him. Right? The Holy Spirit is constantly in our discipleship relationships, in our adventure of following Jesus. He's trying to get us to the point where he's saying, oh, no, no, it's not about me. It's about Jesus. Right? I'm out of the way. I'm pointing to Jesus. And what's beautiful about the Trinity is that they constantly try to out-honor each other in this way. Right? So it's beautiful unity coming together. The Holy Spirit always going, it's about Him. So the Holy Spirit is our helper. And if the Holy Spirit is constantly pointing to Jesus in our conversation about disciple making, this begs the question, then how did Jesus make disciples? So if the Holy Spirit's going to help us, he's going to point us to Jesus. So we've got to look to Jesus. How did he make disciples? And so something that I've studied as I've been discipled by Dave Buring, the leader of Lion's Share, Um, allowing me to be the one to present here today. I'm just going to steal all of his ideas and and make it sound better. (laughs) That's a joke. That's such a joke. But this is something. So um, it's it's really rainy outside right now. And some of us, we just had Chick-fil-A. And tonight, you might be thinking about a nice soup. You know, something a little lighter. Soup and salad. Well, you know, a soup, it's got all kinds of different ingredients in it, right? And so sometimes if you're a really good restaurant, you're not going to, you'll share some of the ingredients of the soup, but there's usually a secret ingredient that you never share. Well, Jesus does. He shares the secret ingredient when it comes to disciple making and how he did it. You see a pattern emerge as you study the gospel of Matthew of how Jesus made disciples. And we put it together in this, Dave put it together in his uh, book, The Jesus Blueprint, like this that the Holy Spirit is the secret ingredient to disciple-making, central to everything that Jesus did. All right, so look at this. Jesus, when he made disciples, four components came together around the Holy Spirit, bringing these things alive in their life, that always a commitment to scriptural truth. It always has to come back. Did you see the unity that was accomplished when we went to the Scriptures and we said, oh, the Holy Spirit's our helper, guides us into all truth. See, this is what happens when we come and we make a commitment to Scriptural truth coming back is that there's unity that can come. A commitment in making disciples is that we don't teach our own thing, we always come back to the Word of God. That was a commitment that Jesus even did. He took it and he, he illumined it for them. Right? The second thing that you see is the ingredient of a context of community. I would say it this way. You cannot make disciples without this. It's impossible. You have to be in relationship. And, and I have found in my particular style that I've always, I always need to be with more than just a one-on-one. That's just my particular style because in a one-on-one, then I become the answer guy. And I don't want to be the answer guy. I want this to be a conversation of discovery about what does Scripture say. 
So a, a context of community. And then these bottom ones here are something that we, I'm so glad to be able to hear that the church, especially in a setting like the National Disciple Making Forum, we're starting to talk about this more. We heard about this this morning, a culture of obeying Jesus. If we just did what Jesus told us to do in every area, not just in disciple making, our life would be so much better if we just simply obeyed Jesus. And we're going to get into that a little bit. And then this charge to reproduce. You constantly see Jesus say, no, 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 we're not going to just holy huddle here. Get out. He kicks them out. And he says, I'm going to send you out two by two. I want you to go, Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. Get out, charge to reproduce what I have done in you. I want you to do the exact same. And the Holy Spirit will help you do it. He's the secret ingredient. The Holy Spirit is central in the disciple-making process. So what does the Holy Spirit help us do? in us and through us, as disciple makers, as disciples ourselves, how does he help us? Some very practical things that the Holy Spirit does, I want to go over this, is that you'll see that the Holy Spirit brings the presence of Jesus in and through our lives, right? The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the certainty of being a child of God. He seals us in, right? He baptizes and sows us into the body of Christ. That's how I know that I'm a disciple. The Holy Spirit seals me. And he was sent so that we would no longer be orphans. Can I get an amen on that, right? He fills us and he resides within us. He's the paraclete. He's the helper, right? We just you know, discovered that. He comes alongside of us as our helper, our guide, our comforter, and our counselor. I don't know about you, but especially in my setting right now, as I get into things that I don't understand in the business of the NFL, I need a counselor as I try to counsel things that I don't even understand. Holy Spirit, help me. I need some help right now. And I know that you need it as well. So the Holy Spirit brings the presence of Jesus. When I walk into that NFL locker room, what's up? Presence of Jesus here. Right? Think about that for a second. Wherever your feet are going to take you, the Holy Spirit in you brings the presence of Jesus. I love it. Right? The second thing is that it brings the likeness. Holy Spirit brings the likeness of Jesus in and through our lives. Look at this. Straight from Scripture, right? He guides us into all truth, and He helps us remember those truths. Have you ever been in a setting where you all of a sudden, you remember, you're like, it wasn't even on your mind, but all of a sudden you remembered a passage of scripture that you were able to share and it encouraged somebody. That's exactly what happens. He guides us, helps us remember those truths, right? He creates in us a disposition, an attitude of Jesus. He convicts us of sin and of righteousness. This is the Holy Spirit's job description, right? He puts sin to death in our lives. Can I get an amen on that one, right? He sanctifies us so that we look more like Jesus. You know, our journey is to help people to continue to submit ourselves under mentors so that we might look more like Jesus, not like Dave Buring for me, who has modeled me. The only reason I want to look like him is because he looks like Jesus. He constantly is like the Holy Spirit going, no, no, let's come back to Jesus. Right? Then he brings the fruit 
of the Spirit within us, something that we cannot produce in ourselves, the Holy Spirit produces. He brings the likeness of Jesus in us and through us. This last one here, he brings the power of Jesus in and through our lives. You know, Dave was talking about how sometimes in this pacing of Jesus, the pacing of life, I I know what it's like that the weekend is always coming as a pastor. And I need, because there are times when the pace is outpacing me, and I'm exhausted and I'm tired, and I've got to preach this coming Saturday, two services on Sunday, and the pace is just getting me. I need the power of Jesus. And I need to be relying on the Holy Spirit to help me. He helps me in my weakness when I come to Him in prayer. He gives us the power to overcome sin. He gives us the power to know and to do God's will, right? It's one thing to know God's will. God, would you give me the power and the strength to do your will? He empowers us with spiritual gifts to advance His kingdom, and He empowers us to be His witnesses and make disciple-makers. And even with all of this power available to me, with the presence of Jesus, with the likeness of Jesus, I don't know about you, but sometimes I still don't follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. Right? Sometimes I miss it. Sometimes I choose to just flat out ignore it because I like to control this. I got this, right? So have you ever wondered, because when I heard this teaching, it kind of was like, oh my goodness, I never saw it that way. Have you ever wondered in the scriptures, what is the difference between, because our relationship with the Holy Spirit as Christians, do you realize that we can hurt Him? Like in a relationship with my wife, there are things that I can do, things that I can say that will hurt her. And some of the things I do it because I, like, I don't know if you all do this, but like I'm having a bad day or whatever, and I say something because I know it's going to hurt her. I mean, what is that in me? So sometimes I miss it. Do you, when it comes to your relationship with the Holy Spirit, do you deliberately just choose to say, not today? I miss it sometimes. And have you ever thought about the difference in the Scriptures when it lays out quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit? Like, what is that? So I just thought I'd I'd examine that a little bit with us today. So the first, grieving and quenching the Holy Spirit. Here's grieving, all right? In this verse, right? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The context that Paul's talking about here is out of no corrupt talk out of your mouth putting away bitterness and wrath and anger and slander and malice. See, what grieving the Holy Spirit is, is when the Holy Spirit says, no, don't do these things. They're not good for you, your family, your circle of influence. No. But we say yes. That's grieving the Holy Spirit. We can actually hurt our relationship. We can hurt the Holy Spirit. When he says no, and we say yes. Now look at the difference here. Quenching the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5. And the context is, Paul's saying, do these things, right? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in everything, and so on. 
And so quenching the Holy Spirit is when he says, yes, do this. And we say, not today. No. All right. And I want you to think, like, this helped me tremendously when I first heard this, of, of the difference. So quenching is like kinking a hose. Like a, a hose that is just, it, it's got the water flowing, right? Quenching is me going, no, I don't want the flow anymore. The Holy Spirit saying, yes, have that conversation with that person, right? Go and say these exact words to that person. And we say, no, that's quenching the Holy Spirit's flow in and through us, okay? So how does this help us in the context of why it is that we're here to make disciple makers? That's what this conference, this forum is all about. Let me set it up. Jesus said, came to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. By the way, that's a lot of authority, right? Heaven and earth, a lot of authority. And this is what he says to us. I want you to go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and I love that Shadonke this morning, he focused in on this, right? Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Here is that lion's share. We kind of boil down all of disciple-making into this statement. Disciple-making is teaching people how to obey Jesus. How do you obey Jesus? And the goal of discipleship is not so that you can have people follow you. It's so that their lives can be transformed by Jesus. But this doesn't just happen. It takes a lot of work. And I don't know about you, but there are some people in my life right now, especially in my new role, that I wish that I could change them. Do you have anybody else in your life that you, man, you wish that you could like make some decisions for them, right? If, if you could, you know, and, and Dave kind of likens it like this, like uh, sometimes you wish that you could have a superpower. Like some people would want to fly. Some people would, you know, want to be able to, whatever, pick your superpower. Dave would like to have the superpower. You and I would love to have the superpower to make decisions for people, to make their life better, right? To go inside in their heart and like make three key decisions in their life so that they don't blow their life, right? But we don't have that power. So there is this process that God takes us through to be able to transform a life. We cannot do it as the disciplers. Only God can. So there's a process that we've discovered that he has taken, is taking, continually will take us through. See, the end goal, these, these circles here, is that you would have a life, these people that we're discipling, is that their life would be transformed. That's what we all want. That's why we're here. And only God can do this. You and I can't. It's impossible for us to transform a person's life, right? You, you know that there are some people around you right now, like, and if, and if we could just say, like, if, if they could just get into church, their life will be transformed. If they could just make it into our small group, their life would be transformed, right? If they could just get around, and that's not true. Only God can transform a person's life. Many of you know people, I know people that they even know Bible verses. They even know what Jesus has told them to do, but their life is still not transformed. 
right? Maybe even some of your churches, man, if you, you brought them in here, they could quote the entire book of Romans, but their life is not transformed. How many of you know that the enemy of our souls, Satan, he knows the word better than any of us in here, and his life is not transformed? Did you ever think about that? It's not about knowledge. It's not about even knowing these scriptures. That's important, but there's something different that's going to lead to transformation. In today's generation, when I, when I come up to the Steelers and I say to some of these young men who are beginning to lean in to the concept of Jesus and Christianity and beginning to say, oh, there's something to this, I'm starting at a place of, do you have a Bible? Because they don't. So I'm pulling out my phone and I'm saying, have you ever heard of you version? Let me help you begin to discover what the Bible is. We in our generation today have the Bible at our fingertips at all times. And as Dr. Henry Blackaby said, this is the most biblically illiterate generation that he's ever seen. Just because we have access to the information in the Bible does not mean that our lives are going to be transformed. So there's something different that has to happen that only God can do with the information that we have at our hands. And I want to submit to you in this process of transformation that it's called revelation. And only God can do this with the information that we have at our fingertips. Okay, let me try to explain it like this. Um, I, so I introduced you to my daughters, right? And so I've got to do certain things sometimes as a dad to enter into their world that I wouldn't necessarily do. So I took all of my daughters to a musical, okay? And um, I, I took them to see Matilda. Anybody else know what this, you know, it's about this little girl, all this stuff. I'm just I'm trying to be a good dad. So I took them, took them to see Matilda. And as we enter into, at, in Pittsburgh, it's called the CLO, and, and we enter in, and you know, at, at right before, about five minutes before the show, you, you've seen this, you've been a part of this, at, you know, maybe a junior high player or whatever, the lights flicker, and it helps you understand to get into your seats, right? So everybody settles into their seats, but the lights are still on at this point, and you see in front of the stage, there's this massive curtain. And everybody in the crowd knows, okay, it's a musical. Behind this curtain is something like that the, the staff has been working on. So it's, it's going to be the props. It's going to be the, the stage set that's back. I know it's back there. I know that there's something back there, but I can't see it yet. Right? And then the lights go dim. And three, two, one, the curtains open. And all of a sudden I see what I couldn't see just seconds before. How many of you have ever been reading the scriptures and you've read that passage 10, 20, 100 times and all of a sudden it jumps off the page and into your heart? Have you ever had that happen to you before? That is revelation. What I once saw I couldn't see, but now all of a sudden I see it. God revealed something to me that I couldn't see before. It's been a truth that's been there all along, but all of a sudden he chose to illuminate it in me. That's revelation. It's different from the information. 
right? Information can't transform a heart, but revelation, God can bring this. And only God can transform and only God can reveal. So what's our part to play in the disciple-making process, in our growth as followers of Jesus? What is this piece in the middle that's going to lead to a transformed life? Because it's a process. Just because something is revealed doesn't mean that my life's going to be transformed. Because what's in the middle here is the missing piece that I think, in, and in this changed how I do discipleship. It's teaching people to obey what God has revealed. See, it's, this is the neglected piece of transformation. See, some, I heard it said this way, like, when God chooses to reveal something to us, it might be that passage that jumps off of the page and into our hearts. That that's only half of the transformation piece. And unless we do something with that, our life will still not be transformed. How many of you are pastors in here and you stand up on a weekly basis and you preach your guts out? And if people would only just do what you were preaching, their life would be transformed. If maybe only you would do what you were preaching. If maybe only I would do what I was preaching. That's when transformation comes. See, I heard it said it this way. We were in a D4 session, something that that Lion Share does to ignite a disciple-making movement in churches across the country. We come to churches and we get the hungry of heart and we begin to talk about discipleship, obeying the last command of Jesus. What would it look like if we did this? And Dave was in a session and he was describing this very thing. And it was the first time that I heard it. So I'm writing as fast as I could because I'm like, oh my gosh, God is downloading big time to me right now. And when he got to this point, he said this, what God reveals is not meant to be negotiated. It's meant to be obeyed. And in the church... And in the way that we've been taught in cultural Christianity, this is the missing piece. We love to negotiate. We love to be able to get out of it what we want to get out of it, but God's going, I want you to obey what it is that I've revealed. Don't negotiate with me. You see this all over the scriptures. Take a look at this. From the Old Testament, you see Abraham, right? God says, hey, man, I want you to go from your country and I will bless you. Abraham obeys and God does, right? Moses, I'm going to send you to free my people from the hand of Pharaoh. So Moses went and he obeyed and God blessed it and it happened, right? You see, Joshua, I want you to do this really weird thing, Joshua. I want you to march around the city of Jericho. I want you to do it in this weird way. On the seventh time, I want you to yell. Ah, and the walls came tumbling down. He obeyed what God revealed. You see it in the New Testament, Zacchaeus, his life. He has an encounter with Jesus and radically this explosive generosity because of the conviction in his life. I'm going to return fourfold explosive generosity. He obeyed what God revealed. The disciples, you see Jesus say, I want you to wait for this promise. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. They wait, they obeyed, and boom the Holy Spirit came, right? And then Paul, he has this specific directions. While he has these scales on his eyes, I want you to go to Damascus, you know? I want you to go to Straight Street, right? 
And all of a sudden, the specific instruction he obeys, Ananias comes and all of a sudden he could see he obeyed what God revealed. See, I would say it this way because I've heard it said this so many times. Dr. John Perkins, his grandson, did he say it, Dave? Obedience is the engine of transformation. Is that him? You said that. All right. I knew it was good. That's why I wrote it down, man. Obedience is the engine of transformation. And see, we think that we're the only ones sometimes where we have to obey whatever it is that God says. And we forget that Jesus had to do this himself. You know, Jesus will never ask you to do anything that he hasn't done. Right? So look at this in Jesus' life. See, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers, petitions, fervent cries, tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, look at this, he learned obedience. From what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Do you see the process here? Jesus did it. And if he had to learn obedience, I'm really encouraged. Because if he could do it, he's given me his spirit in me, that he who is great in me is greater than he who's in the world, that I can actually learn obedience. Look at this one. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord. Do you hear that? Let me just stop right there. Jesus couldn't do anything of his own accord. Why? Because... Only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. See, I would love what is underlined right here. As a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a chaplain of the Steelers, I would love that line to be said about me. Kent only does what God tells him to do. Wouldn't you love to have that be said about you. But, but this right here, only what we see the Father doing, this is where when we disobey that, when we get out ahead of that, when we take our life into our own hands, if you just think about maybe your ministries or, or, or a relationship that you're in, when you begin to not do what the Father has told you to do, or you begin to do something that the Holy Spirit has never told you to do, that's where we get out of bounds, right? That's where our life begins to get in trouble and we begin to just feel that frantic, oh man, what am I supposed to do now? See, sometimes, especially because, man, I, I was whispering to Tim who's on our team. He's like, I was like, sometimes I feel like these conferences, these um, forums, I get information overload and I don't know what to obey. And as a young pastor, I, here's what I would do is I would come to these conferences and I would look for like the, maybe excuse my terminology, I would look for the sexiest, I would look for the best marketing, I would look for like the most popular, and that's what I would try to get from and apply it into my context. Does anybody else do that? Yeah, zingers, like it's the silver bullet. I'm looking for that thing that's going to take my ministry. I need that idea to continue to sustain what's going on. But I, I'm, I wonder sometimes if God never meant for me to meet that and put that curriculum or to put that idea into my church context. He wasn't whispering that to me. 
but I chose it. I got ahead of it. Have you ever done this in your life, right? Where, where you get out ahead of God, you, you disobey the things, this is where we get into trouble, right? And I want to share you, I want to share something that just completely wrecked my life, all right, by, by a statement that was made that just caused me to go, how many things did I do that I was never supposed to do in ministry? Look at this. What God initiates, He permeates. What we initiate, we have to sustain. Think about your context right now. And think about your life. Think about your family. Think about your marriage. Think about your circles of influence and how this applies. See, and sometimes it comes out of a really good intention as well. For my ministry, I just wanted these good ideas, right? And, and sometimes I would even say, God, I have an idea. I've got an idea, and here's what I need you to do, God. I need you to bless my idea. Anybody else done that? Yeah. Right? See, I, I think sometimes, and I've been a part of this, so like I'm with you on this, and I'm like preaching to myself right now. We get into these rooms in our church buildings or into these offices and we begin to whiteboard and strategize and we hire consultants and they tell us the best and the latest and the greatest and the biggest and, the, and, and, and they come in and say, here's what you should do when we have never stopped to ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want us to do? And instead of having these whiteboard sessions we should be having prayer board sessions. Instead of hiring consultants, I have, well, hold up. I have nothing against consultants if the Holy Spirit has whispered to you that you should hire a consultant. Does that, does that, that make sense? That's the difference. If you hire a consultant without the greatest consultant telling you to hire that consultant, you're going to have to sustain that in your own strength with your own resources, your own budget dollars, your own ideas. See, you're gonna, what God initiates, He's going to give you the provision. He's going to give you the ideas. He's going to give you the people. He's going to give you those budget dollars to be able to permeate that because He's putting the wind behind your sails. But if you initiate it, it's on you. You're going to have to sustain it. So the worst thing that you could do at this forum is to go up to one of these tables and just go, this looks like a good one, and I'll put it back into my context. If I were you and if you were here with a team, you need to pray, God, would you lead us to the exact partnership that we need for our church? God, would you breathe for what it is that you want for how we need to make disciples in our context God, Holy Spirit, breathe on us. Because sometimes the things that God specifically breathed onto a church or an organization was simply for them. It wasn't for you. Does that make sense? All right, you're tracking with me. It's not that I'm saying, you hear my heart on this. I've done that before, and I don't want to see us do that because God may have never told you to do that and the very thing that you're trying to keep alive at your church, God might be trying to kill. <laughs> right? We're, we spend so much time in meetings 
And we're like, how, how do we keep the fire going? And we, you know how like when a fire begins to go out, you've been taught maybe as a Boy Scout to like <laughs> blow air into it. And God's like trying to pour water onto the fire. He's going, it's dead, it's done, let it die. Are we listening to the Holy Spirit when it comes to this process of transformation in disciple making? So let me kind of go through some things here real quick, okay? Um, the Holy Spirit in disciple making, what, what is this? All right, what, what's the what uh, with this? So bringing the presence, the likeness, the power of Jesus into the lives of his followers. He guides us via the revelation, obedience, transformation, the process of transformation. And he shapes disciples around the character of God. This is, look at me for one second. This is the Holy Spirit going, it's about him, right? The character of God, who God is, the ways of God, how God does things, and the mission of Jesus, how we advance his kingdom, not ours. This is the how of disciple making that the Holy Spirit helps us with. Here is the who. Have you ever wondered who you're supposed to disciple? Here we have some sayings around lion's share that this idea, in whose ears are your words big? Have you ever been talking with somebody, maybe a person, and they all of a sudden they're just like, lean in to you? And you realize that their ears, it's almost like they've become like a funnel and your words are going into their really big ear funnel. And then they go and do what you told them to do. And they come back to you and say, I did it. Now what? That is a person that maybe the Holy Spirit is going, pay attention to the big eared one. Right? I can say that because my ears are actually like satellite dishes on it. Anyway, so discerning those who are fast. The Holy Spirit can help you with this. I'm looking for faithful people. People who are available if you want to disciple someone who does not have time for you, that's not going to work. If, it's not going to, if they're not going to make it a priority in their calendar, do not waste your time or theirs. Look for available people who are going to make the time for you. Look for servant-hearted people. You've been watching their life, or at least you should be. See the ones who are already kind of have a bent towards serving and looking that way and then teachable. I like how Dave says it. Who really wants to disciple somebody who knows everything? Do they have a teachable spirit? And then I love this. If a person is not willing to match your commitment. See, when I, when I disciple young men, I will lay out the expectations of what this group is going to look like. I'm going to say, this is what it requires. This is, you know, our journey for so long. And, and I'm going to give you a little grace period as we figure things out a little bit, as we get to know each other. But then I ask them, at some point in that journey, are you willing to match my commitment? Because I'm not going to get up at 5.30 in the morning and have you stand me up. Now, if it happens one time and you sleep in, there's grace. Second time, I understand. Okay, I get it. Third time, you're done. You're not, you're not ready to be discipled. Three strikes. That might not sound grace-filled to you, but did you recognize in the Scriptures Jesus never chased anybody? So that's, are you willing to match my commitment? And then Jesus spent the night in prayer. Sometimes we might be willing to disciple the first person that comes to us. Will you disciple me? And you're like, oh. I would love to pour my life into you. And you all feel, you feel real good about yourself. What if the Holy Spirit is saying no? 
that person's just looking to get close to you for different reasons. And the Holy Spirit, are you giving the Holy Spirit a, a runway for him to say yes or no to that invitation? Just because they ask doesn't mean that you should. All right? Spend some time in prayer. And then here's the how. Okay, your aim. Following the lead of the Holy Spirit and shaping disciples of Jesus around the character, the ways, and the mission of Jesus. The whole focal point, we boil it down, is to teaching them to obey Jesus by this process. Revelation, obedience, transformation. And here's how I do this. This is, this is how I've been trained by Dave and by Lionshare. Whenever you're discipling, whenever you're watching a movie, whenever you're out to dinner and you're having conversation, whenever you're reading scripture with the people that you're discipling, because it's life on life, right? It's not just you get together and you study the Bible. That's not discipleship. That's Bible study. Discipleship is let's get close. Let's come over and see the pink life. See how I parent, right? See what it's like for me to just simply run to the grocery store. Want to come? Do you even know how to shop, right? You know, yes, I just pushed the button on my phone. You know, well, okay, but do you know, like Erica, when she disciples these ladies, do you actually know how to bake? Like that's a part of discipleship. Get up close, you know, because then that's when these conversations are happening, right? So um, this process, and we always ask this question, so what is the Holy, Holy Spirit revealing to you? Like have you ever been in those moments where you're watching a movie and something hits in your heart? What's the Holy Spirit revealing in that moment? And he's not just revealing that to make you feel warm and fuzzy. So the second question of the process of transformation is, well, what are you supposed to do about it? Why do you think he's revealing that to you? The obedience question. So what did God reveal? What are you going to do? That's our discipleship process. Right? Leads it. And then learn to listen well and guide disciples into obeying Jesus. And then obviously, because we're at this conference, we use a resource. Right? And so... This is meant to, right beside the scriptures, so imagine the Bible open with this open, and you're having conversation based off of proven scriptural principles that have been packaged in a certain way that helps lead you in conversation, so that you're just not scattered everywhere, it leads you on your journey. It's a discipleship journey, and so incredible resource. Um, there, there are so many great resources, right? And so this has been one that Lion Share, that Dave has written, that's been incredible uh, for us on knowing God, a call to discipleship, the grace of God. Does a new believer know what that even means? The cross, sin and repentance, hearing the voice of God. You know, having these types, um, you know, a, an entire chapter on biblical relationships. What does it mean to be great relators? You know, um, these types of things uh, with the discipleship. Uh, journey. So um, that's all I have. I want to give us some time for Q&A here. And I also want to invite maybe some of the other team members to chime in. If I feel like maybe I'm not, you know, you could answer it better, I might call on you. So any questions, and I'll repeat the question to make sure. Yes. Gotcha. So is there a time frame that you meet? I'm just repeating the question for the, the recording. Um, is there a particular amount of time that you uh, meet with uh, those that you're discipling? Um, and you'll, you'll see that in many different ways. If I go back to the pillars that we have as lion's share, um, we believe that as soon as a person gives their life to Christ, the first 30 days are crucial. It would be like birthing a baby and leaving them on the altar. 
to fend for themselves. So we feel like the first 30 days, man, you got to get with that and, and to be able to cover those basics of the faith. And we have a tool for that called Welcome to the Kingdom. And we meet weekly as they walk daily with, um, you know, studying scripture, answering some questions. They come back and they report in that weekly session. It's a six-week journey, um, right? So that's what we would call foundational. And then we would get into what we call formational discipleship. And this curriculum, well, it's not a curriculum. I like to say it's more of a conversation. It's a tool that we use. It actually takes you on a 48-week journey. All right, so it covers, there's, there are 12 chapters and it breaks it up into four uh, each. There's a video component that, that, so I would say to my guy, hey, download the Vimeo uh, videos and I want you to watch this. I want you to do your study on your own because it's important for them to learn how to do that and then bring the questions, bring the conversation into our weekly meeting. And we do that for what I find ends up becoming about like a year and a half. 48 weeks, yes, but because of vacations, because of, you know, just certain things. Um, and there might be times where the Holy Spirit just tells me to call a timeout, and we need to spend the time just talking and ministering rather than covering the material for today. Does that make sense? So for, I've been finding that in my discipleship relationships, I'm gearing up for more of like a, a year and a half for me personally rather than a, a year, 48 to, you know, 52. So I, the, the question is, how big is the discipleship groups? And so the number of people in your groups, I think it's different for everybody. So um, the way that I would describe it for me is that I, in my season of life, because remember, discipleship is not just about getting together once a week. This is life. And so when people are coming over to my place, I only have the relational capacity right now with the Pink Life and the Erica and the Steelers. Um, like I only have the relational capacity for about three at a time. And so I, I try to get them all together in that group and we journey together. So I'm with a group of guys. There's three plus me, so four in that group. Other people in, this might be like sort of your, um, your wiring. So like Dave, he's a maximizer. So he will get a dozen to 16 people and he'll get them across the country to get together on a Zoom call. And then he's doing relational touch points with them all the time, right? And, and so, but he brings them together in a groups of like dozen uh, at a time. That's way too many for me right now. I, I just can't. So I think it's, it's probably season of life, how you're wired. So, yeah. The, well, I, so, yes, I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm pastor to the team. And I'm shepherd, but I'm not discipler of the whole team. There's only a few that I see that are fast, right? So I'm not going after all of them. I'm, I'm going to look for those hungry of heart to disciple, but I'll pastor the rest. I'll shepherd and be available for the rest. It's great. Yeah, so the question is, so as, as a pastor, was it already there? Like the, the discipleship pathway, if it wasn't, how do you get people to start this around. So in my unique context, um, when I got to the church that I currently serve in, um, discipleship, um, how do I want to say this carefully? It had begun to be forgotten. And it was all about the weekend experience. And so my heartbeat with Dave's help was to, as I wrote in my 
um, kind of my dissertation for my master's degree was how do I turn this Titanic back towards the heart of disciple making? Um, and so if it took us as a church 25 plus years to fade away from the intention of absolute one-to-one-to-one disciple-making, it's going to take me 20 to 25 years to turn this Titanic back around. And I've got to play the long game. Right? So I've got to, Holy Spirit, help me strategize in such a way. Help me see into that future of what it needs to be done now to turn this ship little by little, year after year, back towards the focus of making disciple-makers. Um, and so this is where my relationship with a Dave Buring helped tremendously to speak into the culture, having an outside voice that is trusted, is loved, to be able to come in and say, we need to talk about this. And having a lead pastor in my particular context who was willing to say, I see it. Because if your lead pastor, if that senior pastor if they just leave it up to the discipleship department or the education department, and it's not a part of their wiring, there are ways that you can help submit the, this is important to me. Can we talk about this? You know, and, and if, not to say that if, if the lead pastor is not willing to do it, that it couldn't happen and that you couldn't be faithful within your circle of influence to make disciples who make disciples, but if that lead pastor is not going to lead it, there's going to be some serious, tough opposition. Would you say that's accurate, those of us who are on our team? Okay. How, what, what's my time here? What's, um, one last question. One last question? No? Great question. Great question. Because we're not supposed to holy huddle the whole time. Jesus so the question is, how do you end it, right? So if it's an 18-month process or whatever, the, how long it is, how do you end it and how do you multiply it? Um, so Dave taught me something that I think is brilliant. Um, so you celebrate it. Yep, right? So you, here, here's what I do personally with the men that I disciple. I just... We're coming to the end of our discipleship journey, um, and the three men, I just met with them last week. They met this morning without me, and I said to them, we need to get on the calendar our, um, our commissioning, because I've been talking to them the whole time about who are your people that you're going to begin to do this with, because this isn't just about us you know, being in a holy huddle. This is about you doing this. And so what I will do is I'll get their families together, kids, wives, I will host a party at my house so that my kids see, the pink life will see, that this is something that is a part of our DNA. So I bring them over, and the girls love it because they write little notes and, you know, swirly things on the deck that say it's, I, the last time I had Ainsley write out, this is not the end, it's just the beginning, right? Things like that. And so their kids see, their wives see, because, you know, I've had their wives come to me at different times. This is beautiful. My husband is better because he's been discipled. He's less angry. He's less irritated. He's more this and that because he's been discipled. Beautiful. 
So the women, their wives will see this commissioning ceremony. And what I do, because Dave did this to me, is is I coin them. In the military, whenever you pass on and your, your time is done, you coin the next, everything that I have learned, I have now passed on to you and I'm signifying it by this coin that will say to you, now go and you do the exact same thing, right? And so we've developed this coin at my church that I use uh, with the guys and I say, now I coin you to go and make disciples. Right? So you celebrate it and then it's a commissioning of it. And um, I, I got that from Dave. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, he does that um, in so many various settings. And it's a way of people seeing that and celebrating a journey because all journeys come to an end, you know. And, and so um, I, I especially love bringing the kids into that so that they're catching it. You know, they might not understand it fully, but now three, four, five of these that they've seen and participated in, and they're going, I want, to, I want to do that. I want to be a part of that. So, good. Well, thank you, everybody. Let me end with this. Um, so, we um, at LionShare, we want to give you a gift. Something that we did is we brought together six fathers of the faith. So, when I say these names, Dr. John Perkins, uh, Lauren Cunningham, founder of YWAM, Dr. Lloyd Ogilvie, who just passed away, U.S. Senate chaplain, um, so many more. There, Winky Prattney, there's um, Henry Blackaby. We brought them all together to share wisdom. And, and so, this is something that we do in small groups and settings that we would love to give to you. Um, the only thing that you would need to pay is for shipping to get it to you. So it's free to you simply because you came to the Lion's Share track. Thank you, everybody. Uh, have a fantastic forum. I'm going to be learning with you. And if you want these right here, uh, Mel, with the clipboard, just give him your email and we'll get it, all the information to you sent out to you. All right. Thanks, everybody. That's it for today's episode. Make sure to check out the discipleship.org collective and get your free membership with tons of resources. There's a premium version too. Check it out at discipleship.org slash collective. Thanks for listening. Until next time.